So today, we start a new sermon series on the imagination, uh, the renewed imagination. Thank you, Peter, for this artwork. Thank you, Rin Manby, if you're here, for the design of this piece. Um, and uh, I want you to have this available and, and ready. Um, today, I want to lay a foundation for the rest of this sermon series by answering three questions. First question, what is our imagination? Secondly, why are we doing a sermon series on the imagination? And then finally, what does it look like uh, when the imagination is working well? So, so what is the imagination? Why would a church do a sermon series on the imagination? And then finally, what does it look like when, when the imagination is, is operating uh, at max capacity in, in a good way? So first, what is the imagination? The imagination is the human capacity to see what is unseen, to see what is unseen. And I got this definition from Rankin Wilborn, who's a pastor in Los Angeles. Um, so for example, uh, what are your lunch plans today? What are your lunch plans that, you know, after we're back, maybe you're going to see the Bears game, or maybe you're going to go get a kale salad at Mariano's. Um, whatever it might be, what, what are your lunch plans? Um, now, perhaps you have something in your mind, uh, and I would just posit you can't see it with your eyes, but, but you can see it in your imagination. And it's not that you're pretending. You're not disconnected from reality. You're simply seeing something that you can't see with your eyes right now. You're seeing the unseen, your lunch plans. Here's another question for you um, that will get your imagination op operating at a little higher RPM rate. Um, who has supported you over the years? Think about that one. Who supported you over the years? Someone who invested their resources and advantages, uh, and perhaps they invested their love, uh, so that you could thrive as, as a person. Maybe a parent or a teacher, maybe a coach, advisor, a boss. Someone who kind of laid down some of their advantages so, so that you could be where you are right now. Um, and, they, and they did it lovingly. So can you think of somebody? Can you think of a couple people? Probably not here in this room right now, but they do exist, and their love for you is real, and their sacrifice for you is real. And your imagination connects you with, with, with all that they gave you and, and what they represented to you. If it wasn't for them, you wouldn't even be here today. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be sitting where you're sitting with the advantages that you have if, if they weren't here. And you can see them in your imagination, even though they're not physically present in this room. Here's one more thing that you can, you can see that is unseen, okay? What opportunities do you have in the next 24 hours to emulate that person or those people? Maybe an advantage or a resource that you can lay down for a coworker, for a classmate, for a roommate, Something that you can do in the next 24 hours to emulate that kind of self-giving kindness that was modeled for you. That's, that's another thing that you can see that's unseen. Um, now, it doesn't exist yet, this act of kindness, but it could. All that's taking now is your action, you stepping forward, and, and then it will become reality. Some people talk about the imagination as if it's something that we grow out of, as if it's a childish faculty that, that we have to grow out of, that we have to leave behind if we're going to grow up in the world and become an adult. Some of us are actually embarrassed 
that we can see the unseen. We're embarrassed by the faculty of the imagination. Um, but see, when we, when we see the unseen, we're not being childish, per se, although we can be childish with our imaginations. Um, we are being human. The imagination is a human capacity, um, and it is a, a uniquely human capacity. No other creatures in the world have the capacity of the imagination to see what is unseen. So when the imagination is working well, it can absolutely wake us up to what is real. It can wake us up to reality in ways that are true and good and beautiful. Um, it can make your relationships stronger. Uh, it can make the world better even. So the imagination, it's the capacity to see what is unseen. And, and rather it being something that we have to grow out of, it's actually so powerful that it is something that we have to grow into, which is what brings us to our next point. Why are we doing a series on the renewed imagination? What is the reason that we are doing this series? Um, the first reason, there's two reasons. The first reason uh, is a threat. I want to address a threat. And the second uh, reason we're doing this series is to define an opportunity. So I want to address a threat and define an opportunity. So the threat is this. The threat is that our imaginations will become or stay malnourished. They will, be, they will become malnourished or they will stay malnourished. And I say malnourished because our imaginations are ravenously hungry for story. Our imaginations are hungry for story. And that, that is the capacity and the hunger that we were born with. And as much as your body is regularly hungry for, for food. Your imaginations are regularly hungry for story, and not just any story, not just any kind of story, but a story that makes sense to you, makes sense of your life, a story that you can live out, a story that you can embody. Um, so the threat is that instead of feeding our imaginations with stories that are good and true and beautiful, we will feed our imaginations stories that are false, and dehumanizing, stories that would degrade us, that would eat away at our humanity, and that would close us in on ourselves rather than opening us up to God and his reality. We are in danger of these kind of stories. Malnourished imaginations often feed on what we'll call fantasies. Now let me just stop and say that um, the word fantasy can have a lot of meanings. Sometimes it refers to really great stories. And so I'm not using it uh, in, in every sense. I'm going to define it somewhat narrowly and let the other definitions be what they are. Um, for instance, I'm not against fiction. <laughs> fiction, uh, really good fiction, has actually prepared me and fed my soul as I've gotten ready for this series. Um, so George MacDonald and C.S. Lewis and many others um, uh, have, have, have fed me in good ways. Um, what I'm referring to um, are the sum total of our desires and our pain. Our sum total of our desires and our pain around which we build stories and feed our imaginations with. So for instance, if you take out the, the card that's in your bulletin, on the one side is the really beautiful image, and on the other side is the list of sermons. Now, incidentally, you should know that we are going to be tracking through the Old Testament with each sermon. We're going to be telling the story, the, the larger story of the people of God. But in so doing, we're going to see how the imagination breaks down along the way. So, for instance, look at next week, September 14th. 
Um, it'll be actually named Glory and Power Fantasies. Glory and Power Fantasies. Sometimes we feed our imaginations um, with a story about our desire for status in the eyes of others, whether through glory or through power. Or, or look at the next one, uh, September 21st, Revenge Fantasies. This is a story driven by our pain, a story driven by our pain where we kind of settle an old score. Or look uh, right down below that, Comfort Fantasies. These are stories that we tell about how we'll get relief from our suffering. How are we, we going to finally get relief from our suffering? Well, we tell ourselves comfort fantasies, and we're not the first ones to do that. Or even look, um, October 12th, paranoia fantasies. This is where we imagine ourselves as kind of the all-knowing judge of other people in our life. Instead of kind of asking them what they're thinking and feeling and intending, we just kind of assume and fill in the blanks and, and set ourselves up as judge and jury over, over people in our life. Or perhaps even um, right below that, sex and romance fantasies. When have you ever heard a sermon on that? Um, and yet, it, it's, it's a reality. It's something that goes on in our imaginations all the time. And this is a, a story about our desire for intimacy, our desire for acceptance, our resolving the pain of being alone or, 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 or figuring something out, finally uh, settling what has been unsettled between us and the male gender or between us and the female gender. It's finally resolving in our imaginations through sex and romance fantasies. Now, you might ask, what's the harm in all of this? What's the harm? No one, it's, it's, uh, it doesn't affect my life. It's just going on between the ears. What's the harm in entertaining these kinds of stories, um, fed, feeding our imaginations with stories around our desire, stories around our pain? Um, the reason we are hungry for story, friends, is that we need a story to live by. And ultimately, we end up living by and embodying the stories that we feed ourselves. It starts in our imaginations, and then it does work its way in to our daily life. We begin playing out the stories that have captured our imaginations. So when our imaginations are captured by a story, that story will begin to define us. And when we graze on fantasies, we can only take in stories about our desires and our pain. And in some cases, we begin to become our desires and we begin to become our pain and we bend in on ourselves and in many ways, we imprison ourselves. It degrades us, it dehumanizes us. And this is a lost opportunity because there's a larger story, there's a grander story that can transform our desires and our pain and call us into something richer and deeper than our desires and our pain. This is a story that dignifies us. So this is like the lost opportunity of on your way to Charlie Trotter's to have a beautiful, delicious farm-to-table meal with the most nourishing, satisfying, delicious things you can ever imagine. Um, we stop at the gas station and fill up on processed food, fill up on sun chips and Oreos rather than fill up on filet mignon and freshly steamed vegetables or whatever is good for you. <laughs> so what I'm trying to say is that our fantasies are, in the end, a tragic distraction. They are a tragic distraction. They are unworthy stories that divide our attention. They are unworthy stories that siphon our creativity and drain our creativity. 
And instead of opening us up to God's reality, which is richer and deeper and grander than our individual reality, we close in on our desires and our pain. So whereas our, our, our imaginations have an opportunity to be vertically focused and to be drawn upward and outward into maturity and life and kingdom, we turn our imaginations inward and then we become our desires and our pain and we live out a false story that dehumanizes us. That's the danger and that's why we're doing this series. We need to be discipled. We need to be raised up. But it's not just a threat, it's also an opportunity. And the opportunity is that in our imaginations we can participate daily in God's reality. We can be trained. We can, uh, we can respond to the gospel by seeing what is unseen, and that is God's story, God's reality. When our imaginations are baptized, when our imaginations are cleansed um, of the images that don't belong, God can speak good and beautiful and true things, true images, tr- the true story, through our imaginations. Um, he gave us our imaginations so that we could participate fully in his reality and we can feed on his story. There's a great book uh, that I am just finished reading to my older sons, Gus and Sam, called uh, The Horse and His Boy. And it's the story of a boy named Shasta who is a slave. He, he was born as a, as a slave uh, and he lives with an abusive caretaking father-type figure. And all his life, he's slaving away. And, um, but he always dreams about going up to the north. He always feels like that's where he's from. And so finally, there's a chance for him to escape. He, he meets a horse that can talk. So this is a fictional story. Um, and um, he meets a horse that can talk that also wants to run away. So they run away together to the north. And uh, along the way... Some, some angry lions chase them, and, and uh, Shasta uh, runs as fast as he can to get away from this danger, and, um, and they narrowly escape. And then further along in the story, he runs into this little cat, and the cat comforts him when he's spending the night alone in kind of a graveyard-type place and when there's coyotes that want to eat him. And then later on in the story, uh, he and uh, someone that he's traveling with, a girl named Aravis, um, are, uh, are, are on their horses getting close to the end of their journey and the lion is back and this time the lion uh, draws blood in pursuit of, of Shasta and Aravis and, and their horses. Um, and um, what happens at the end of the story is that, is that Shasta learns something that was always true but he could never see it. Always true but he could never see it and that was that, that, that grace in the form of the lion had always been pursuing him, and that he actually wasn't born a slave. He was actually born a prince, and he was destined to become a king, and he was destined to, do, to, to, to save his homeland of Archenland. It had always been true, but he could never see it, not until the author of his story and the source of his grace revealed it to him and said, I was what you thought was two lions. That was me chasing you out of the woods, so that you would meet your, your soon, you know, eventually your wife, who's on her horse, also trying to escape up to the north. And when you were uh, lonely and afraid and, and in danger of coyotes, I was the cat that comforted you and that scared away the coyotes. 
And when you were almost at the end of your journey and you were going to lag behind and so were your horses, I chased you down so that you would make it into Archenland in time to, to spread the news that Archenland was under attack. And it had always been true. It had always been true that Shasta was destined to become a king, that he was always a prince, but he could never see it until grace had opened his imagination to it. The story of the horse and his boy is really the story about Shasta's imagination waking up in such a way that he could be connected with the reality of grace, which was always true. Friends, it is through our imaginations that we see our own story in light of God's story, God's grander, richer story. Um, It is through God's grace that we see um, that God's kingdom is coming, even in our pain, that grace is pursuing us, even when things are confusing, Um, that the kingdom of God is coming, and it is sure, Um, and that we are kings and queens in his service if we are um, made uh, made one with Christ through faith. It is through our imagination that we can see evil for what it is. Not as our friend, not as our helper, not as our liberator, but as our imprisoner. This is a reality that is rich and deep and full, that the earth is charged with the glory of God, and that God is renewing all things, and that he invites us into that story. The lesser fantasies, the stories about our desire and our pain, deaden us. It's like... um, Instead of drinking caffeinated coffee to wake us up, we're, we're, we're taking in sleeping pills. and we, we actually fall asleep to the reality that God is opening up before us. The imagination, furthermore, is a place where we can hear from God. It is a place where we can interact with God. God does not denigrate our imaginations. He speaks to them. And our, our imaginations are ravenous for this. We want to know that our life means something. We want to know that God has not forgotten us. We want to know that our life has a meaning and purpose and dignity. God uh, wants to help us see his story, which is beautiful and good and true. And his reality is always better. His story is always better than the fantasies that we choose to live in. It's always better. And so it is, it sometimes will be uncomfortable and it will hurt to realize that we've been living in a fantasy, that we've been living um, in a fictionalized reality. But it is always better to look up and see the story that God is writing. And that is the purpose for this series. We want to address a threat. We want to seize an opportunity. And we want our imaginations to finally see the good, true, and beautiful things uh, that have always been there. Um, But our imaginations need to see them. Okay, so finally... Let's look at an example of an imagination working well. Look with me at Genesis 1. And I want to to invite you to see the Lord God uh, modeling an imagination working well. Of God seeing what is unseen. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, perhaps you're saying, I don't, uh, 
I don't take truth from a millennia-old book. How could I learn about humanity? How could I learn about myself? How could I learn actually about reality from a book that I have a suspicious relationship with? And let me just say that I'm not asking for you, if that's the place where you're in, I'm not asking for you to believe a certain thing about how Genesis should be interpreted, especially as it relates to the origins of the world. And it's a controversial topic. I'm not asking you to lock in on a particular view of our origins um, as it relates to science. I'm also not asking you to believe everything that's in the Bible or everything that's in Genesis, if that's in the place where you're in. Here's what I want to invite you to do as you look at Genesis. I want to, uh, I want to invite you to see um, that Genesis is answering a question that we all want to know, which is why are we here? What is the purpose of our existence? Um, and we can ask that question and still be in meaningful conversation with science. But let me posit that in as much as we, I want you to do good scientific work, if that's your calling, and we should do scientific work if that's our calling, um, the scientific community cannot fully answer the question of why do we exist. They, um, uh, scientists are, are wonderful at answering the question, um, how does cause and effect work? How does cause and effect work? But Genesis goes deeper and answers the deeper question of why reality works the way it does. Why are we here? Um, why are there animals? Why, do we, why are we in relationship to the animals, etc.? Um, I do believe that Genesis is a true account um, uh, of the world and of reality. And what I want to invite you to do, if you're in a suspicious relationship with Genesis, to look at the why question, to look at the story. And if the story is true, consider that Genesis could be a meaningful representation of reality. And that Genesis and other writings of the Bible have something to say to teach you about your life. Let's get back to the text. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now consider that man did not yet exist. As Genesis is telling the story, this is God existing before humanity. And this is the teaching of the Christian church, that God comes first and he is the source and creator of our existence. Man does not yet exist, and yet God can see what it would look like if man and woman were created. Man and woman, as it says in the text, would reflect God in a way that is meaningful. It would, uh, man and woman would carry the blessing of God, carry the dignity of God, carry the image of God with him, with her. And they would do that together. And God can see it. And God is going to creatively and joyfully bring about something new and fresh and good. Something beyond him. And yet it will carry his stamp. It will carry his likeness. God is exercising, as it were, he's modeling an, uh, uh, the use of the imagination um, that, uh, uh, that is outward facing, that is joyful, that is good for the world. He's modeling for us what it would look like if our imaginations were renewed and cleansed and baptized. And that is that we would see things that don't yet exist, and then we would give of ourselves, we would lay down our life so that those things can come into existence, so that we can steward what, uh, what is already in the world. And so, verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And just let me, let me say that, do you see how nuanced Genesis is? On the one hand, God is creating humanity, 
in his image. That means that regardless of how useful man and woman is, um, God has blessed them with his image and likeness. Um, and so even if, let, let's say for instance, let's say that you uh, become disabled somehow, and you can't do what you love to do. You can't be useful in the world. You still carry God's image. You still carry God's likeness. And, um, uh, and verse 28 says that, that God has blessed man and woman. So whether you're useful or not, you are blessed with the image of God and with the blessing of God. And so we need to remember this if, we're ever, if we ever are, are not able to do what we most love to do, if we lose the use of our brain or our bodies, we still are, are uh, made in the image of God. And yet at the same time, um, God said to them in verse 28, be fruitful and multiply and, um, and fill the earth and subdue it. So there's a meaningful contribution that we have to make as well. So do you see how this could be an amazing source of truth for people who are formerly slaves. On the one hand, you are made in God's image. You are not a human doing. You are a human being. And you carry with you the blessing of God, no matter how useful you are or aren't. We need our imaginations to see this. On the other hand, you have a meaningful contribution to make. There is something, no matter, no matter what you do, or no matter what age you are, whether you're young or old, you have a meaningful contribution to make. And do you see how nuanced Genesis is and how good, how, how uh, if we adopted this truth, it would lead to our own human flourishing. And this is, this is an example of God modeling an imagination and then giving, us, giving our imagination something true and good and beautiful to feast upon. And then what does, what does God have Adam do? Um, in chapter 2, um, which, is, which uh, uh, gives another account of God's creation of mankind from a different perspective, from a different angle. I understand these, that these two chapters are complementary of one another. Um, uh, God put Adam in, in the Garden of Eden. And look with me in verse 10. This is on, on page 7, towards the bottom, second column, um, chapter, or sorry, verse 10. Verse 10 and page 7. So, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. Now, why would that be in there? Why would it be in there that a river is, is, uh, is flowing out of Eden into the garden and divided and became four rivers? Why is that important? Why do you and I need to know that? Because we're not in the Garden of Eden. But what about this detail that who knows why it's in there? Verse 11. The name of the first is, is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of, of Havilah where there is gold and the gold of that land is good, and bdellium and onyx stone are there. Why all these details about precious metals and rivers and trees? God is going to put Adam and Eve into a garden. He says, cultivate it. Put it to work. Model in the world what I've already modeled when I brought you into existence. See what is unseen. See good and true and beautiful things. And, and be creative. And steward what is in your life for the, for the life of the world. Yes, it will mean hard work. Yes, it will mean sacrifice. Yes, it may make your brain hurt to figure out what to do with all these precious metals. It will involve scientific inquiry. You're going to have to do a lot of cause and effect. And you're going to maybe even feel frustrated sometimes. But there's a genuine opportunity for you to use your imagination in a way that is joyful and rich and good for the life of the world not for the resolution of your own pain, 
and not for the resolution of your own desire. Desire is good. Resolution of pain is good. Only in God's richer, grander narrative. So God is calling Adam to a, and Eve to a rich and full reality. It's not printed in our bulletins, but later on in the text, God puts Adam in front of a bunch of animals and says, give him a name. Give him a name. I'm going to march them past you. And the author of, of Genesis says, and whatever he named them, that was his name. That was their name. And then when God connected Adam with his wife Eve, Adam could see her for, for who she was. And they enjoyed a life together using their imaginations in the garden. And then something happened, and that is what we're going to track. God gave Adam and Eve, God gave the people of God a vocation, work to do, that would involve an imagination working well. It would involve their imaginations being turned upward, being turned vertically. But Adam and Eve, and their sons and daughters, and their sons and daughters, all the way through history, bent in on themselves. And they lost sight of that good vocation. They lost sight of that good work. And their imaginations became corrupted. Turn them in on themselves and turn them against themselves. We're going to track how that happens and how God responded. And our goal, friends, is that we would learn from history. More than learning from history, that we would encounter the living Christ who made our imaginations and who can renew our imaginations. So I invite you to come back for the rest of the series. For now, let's pray. Holy God, we do pray that you would send your spirit and that you would encounter our imaginations, our capacity to see what is unseen. We pray, Lord, that you would send us away this Sunday with a capacity to see your reality. We pray, Lord, that you would call us out of ourselves, call us out of the false stories, and call us into your true story. We pray, Lord, that you would take us on an adventure and that we would have eyes to see that grace has been pursuing us and that grace calls us into something better. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.